The following Roadshow podcast contains strong language and listener discretion is advised. Rowers tend to use invective and colourful language to explain even the simplest points. This Roadshow podcast is no exception. It was an extraordinary first uh, opening heat uh, right at the beginning of the regatta when the United States just beat the world champions Canada, both of them breaking the world record. Uh, Canada's heads went down a little bit. They, I think they found that really quite a shock. But the United States, certainly, their tails were up, and their tails have been up all through this week. Very interesting, the U.S. crew, of course, Dan. They include the four men who were actually triumphant in Lucerne in the men's four, including Brian Volpenheim in the stroke seat. So uh, Mike Tatey, he has, as he has done in the past, loaded all his talent into this one boat. And uh, I think the man who's going, to t- uh, who's going to really make the difference here is Brian Volpenheim. He's the stroke of the American Eight, and he is a fantastic athlete. Uh, gold medalist in 97, 98 and 99. They missed out in, uh, in, uh, in 2000, but he was in all of those boats, and he is now stroking this boat. He was at bow, he's now at stroke, and they are leading the field. Well, coming to the halfway point, and that's an astonishing advantage, Dan, for America. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, it's, it, Brian Volpenheim has taken them away, and Brian Volpenheim has a fantastic last 500-meter sprint. So this isn't all they can do. They've, they've taken this, this wonderful lead here. Look how he's just sitting there, and they're just pushing it along. They're only at 35 strokes a minute. They are actually in a very, very solid, very, very strong position, rowing technically better than I've seen the United States rowing. They are really rowing well, and Brian Volpenheim is leading them beautifully. They're out there a length, and they've still got a finishing spurt to do. But there's a quick look there. Brian Volpenheim looking around, see where they've got to go, making sure that the Australians aren't coming for him. Now he's going to wind it up. They're up to 39 strokes a minute. They're going to wind it for home in this last 200 metres. Less than that now, Dan. Peter Chipolone, the American coxswain, keeping them up to the task. He wants to make sure that the memory of Sydney is truly erased. And it's looking very, very good. Although, as I say that now, the Dutch getting the deficit down. It was three quarters of a length. It's now almost half a length that they have to find. But the line is coming. And the victory is secure for the United States, who take the goal ahead of Holland with Australia in third place and Germany finishing ahead of Canada and France. Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Role is high fit. Compassion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of The Row Show. Um, we haven't set out an interview for a while, and today we have a very, very cool guest on the show. Jakey, uh, you, why don't you introduce him? Wow, guys. So, yes, it's so good to be back. Today on The Row Show, we have a legend in the sport and a legend from the United States of America. His name is Brian Volpenheim. He is part of the Olympic Champion 8 
that raced in 2004. And, you know, that's, I'd definitely say, the pinnacle result for him. But, you know, as the podcast has got to go into, he is a, a big candidate for a long journey in the sports. And that gold medal was very much a project that started eight years ago under the under the realm, under the reins of Mike Tatey. And uh, I think uh, the build-up that led them to that gold medal was awesome. And Brian was a pinnacle member of that uh, of that result. Yeah, so uh, some people be- might better know him as the Volp, um, and he is was such a machine. He stroked the the eight in two thousand and four to gold, and it's one of my favorite eight races. So if I'm going to go watch any race uh, in the eight, uh, Beijing obviously is a big race, but two thousand and four is for me is my favorite race to watch and also the the technique of that american eight is legendary and i mean it really is something that like when i'm rowing i'm striving uh, to row like that eight because they're just really hitting it right on huge length and just so relaxed and moving and they really destroy the field so that's a really really cool race and we get into that and so much more with brian i mean we have such an epic chat it's like I think it's more of like a conversation and we just really dig into to all his, his start in the sport, uh, his, his first Olympics where things did not go necessarily as well, but he also stepped into this eight that was winning, eh, Jakey? I mean, he won, uh, I think it's 98 and 99 in the eight, stepping in his first years um, in the senior rowing team. Yeah, the, th- the incredible thing about Brian is uh, he... You know, he, he started rowing in university, but he quickly, you know, obviously had a lot of talent. So he quickly progressed and uh, he got a shot at nationals and went up to trial against the senior eight. And like Lawrence said, he made the senior team in 98 and went on to become a world champion. So he had a re- real pedigree and straight away a uh, world champion in the sport at the senior level is a huge accomplishment. And, you know, they... He went back in 99, won that gold medal. But unfortunately, you know, the 2000 Olympic Games, it didn't go the way for the USA. And they came away, I think, with a fifth position there. So I think Brian had some real pedigree. And, you know, the, the like I mentioned earlier, this, you know, this eight is quite a project. And it took a while to get right. And you'll see through the podcast, just listening to Brian speak about it, like how interesting it is to listen to, you know, how you can go from the highs of a sport to have a absolutely terrible result but you know go right back to the drawing board a new set of faces again under Mike Teddy and really start getting good results again and go on to win a gold medal I think that is one thing that you know we haven't spoken too much about is how you you turn around a fifth from the Olympic Games absolutely crushing results and then going and winning the gold four years later in Athens yeah, in such style as well. Um, I think you hit it spot on, JK. And I mean, if you are new to our show and you, you're starting on this episode, this is a perfect episode to, to start with. And I mean, I know a lot of people might not uh, know. He's not like a household name uh, in the rowing community, but he is honestly one of the biggest legends ever. And it was really, really cool to have him on the show. And we really suggest you, you sit down, relax, and listen to this wisdom that comes out of Brian today. It's really, really special. Um, Jakey, I think there was just one really, really cool mail that we got uh, on on the row show, and I think uh, you got it. So why don't you read it out and, and let our listeners know? Yeah, so we got a, 
email from James. Uh, he's all the way from New Jersey in USA. He said, Jake and Lawrence, thank you for a great podcast. He never misses an episode. Rowing is his favorite activity. Um, he says, since he became disabled, uh, though he tends to watch more than he actually rows, your podcast gives me all the information and stories that I need to enjoy, my, enjoy the regattas. Thank you very much. James, what an awesome email. We are... Um, we, we, it's great to hear that you really enjoy the podcast and since you're from the USA this is a special one for all our USA li listeners along with James because Brian is a huge legend from you, the United States yeah so uh, that's pretty cool Jake, Jake uh, it's cool to hear when our, when, our, when our listeners are just enjoying the show and we can also just help make their, their rowing experience a little bit better um, any, I don't think there's anything else. The, the only thing I would say is we do dig into a, a YouTube video uh, that, that was posted about the USA uh, men's aid in the build up to 2000 Olympics. And we talk about a lot of the races. So you can go find those all in the show notes below. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in, in watching them, maybe after the episode. But otherwise, that's enough of us talking shit. Go and enjoy the show. Tops, guys. Enjoy the show as much as we did. It's an awesome one. The Volps. Hello. Yeah. How we doing? <laughs> What's happening? What's up, Ryan? Uh, it's going pretty well. Uh, no complaints here. It's another beautiful day in San Diego. Oh, that's uh, yeah, that's fantastic. So, straight off the bat, we're really interested in your your beginnings in the sport because I'm um, unlike most rowers, you started rowing in university, and uh, we've we've spoken to a, to a couple rowers that have had quite. Um, steep rises in the sport but I think you are probably the fastest um, learner of rowing to get a world champion medal so anyway start us off with uh, you know starting to row at university and how how did your progression work and how did you find yourself onto the national team okay yeah um, yeah it was it was fairly quick uh, surprised me a lot I think um, so basically I I never even heard of rowing until I was a senior in high school. So I was 17 and I had a buddy that rode for our junior team in my hometown. And, uh, he told me about it that summer. And then I went off to, uh, college and I saw a flyer like advertising the team. And to be honest, like, I just thought the picture looked cool. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that looks like fun. And, uh, kind of took the flyer, forgot about it. Um, and I kind of told my, I lived in a dorm that had, you know, eight, eight people living in it. And it was like a big suite, you know? And so one of them, I talked to a, a couple of the guys about it. And one of them was going to go down to the recruiting meeting with me. And we were literally sitting there like one afternoon, like just drinking beers, like wasting time. <laughs> and he's like, Oh shit, we, I think that meeting's tonight. Should we still go? I was like, yeah, let's go. And it happened to be like across the street from our dorm. And so I went there, we walked downstairs across the street to this, like, uh, the boathouse, which was like basically like it looked like a dungeon. It was like um, in the basement of the theater department, and there was like 160 people there, 200 people there or something, and just like an informational meeting. And um, you know, all the coaches got up and talked and like explained what the sport's all about. And uh, then I, I basically just like went to practice the next day, <laughs> and I fell in love with the sport. And it just was, it kind of went from there, and that was. 94 that was my freshman year fall of that year so like 90 fall 94 I, I was my first practice and then i made my first world championship team in 98 um and, I, and we won that one that year i got very lucky to be put in that boat i think um so did you but, 
Did, sorry, I'm going to cut in there. Did you roll like most no, of the eights? So obviously you come in at uh, at the university level and like the, the eights are so big in the USA uh, university scene. So were you like, obviously you learned in the eights and then did you, you roll mostly eights and did you get in any other boats over the next few years? No, so it was basically all eights. All eights all the time when it first started. Uh, we eight, like, and we're Erg. a small yeah. club program. What was that? Eights and Erg. <laughs> Eights and Ergs, exactly. And it's um, it it I it it freezes there, so we spent a lot of time on the Erg. And our coach um, was a big fan of Steve Gladstone, and that was when he was coaching at Brown, and they had won those three back-to-back national championships in like '94 to '97, I think, or '96. And so we basically would just he would come down and he would say, "We're doing what Brown's doing." And so I had no idea. I just was like doing it. And it was like two by 40 minutes on the year all out or, you know, 12 by 500, whatever the workout was. Um, and I lift, I started lifting a lot of weights then. I just really got into it. And I was a competitive athlete in high school. I played soccer and baseball. And, and um, I started the, me and some friends of mine started our high school volleyball team. And so I just love sports. I love like being around that environment. And uh, just working out and, and being part of something that was competitive, uh, but we were we were terrible. So we would we would go and compete at the the national championships, and we would get like seventeenth or eighteenth. You know, it's like our goal was to not come in last, um, <laughs> which I think we only did like once or twice. Uh, <laughs> nice, but <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun, and I, you know, it was like for us, it was like you know, if we can go there and upset someone's day, like make one of these Ivy League schools like ruin their day that was our goal <laughs> yeah that's it usually it didn't yeah. work out that way but yeah it's, it sounds a bit similar to to here in, in South Africa um, on the on the school on the school scene a lot of the a lot of the public schools uh, that's a big thing to you know take take, take a couple scalps off the, the private schools as well yeah, if, yeah we, exactly, if we could yeah. beat a, a private school, yeah, you you must have passed private schools all yeah. the time because Lawrence Lawrence went to a, pub, a public school and he um, and he was pretty pretty good in, when he was at school. Yeah, we did some damage. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. always fun. There's oh yeah, it's a great feeling of beating someone that uh, expects to beat you. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. Oh, that's a funny story. I have a so my first. Um, so then, okay. So basically, from there, I my my erg like by my third year, there's a couple of different stories. So I basically got any I, I attribute any being any good on the erg to a kid on our team that was a lightweight who was making up his erg scores. So we would post our scores like in between classes on a big chalkboard down at the boathouse. You have to go down and do it when you had time. And there was a lightweight guy there who was on our team who was super fit. I, I mean, he was like a good friend of mine, strong kid, and he was posting like 556 no. up there. And at the time, that was like a world record by like 15 seconds. <laughs> no. But I had... Yeah, because I, I think the no world idea. record, I think the world record for the lightweight erg is like 555 at the moment. Yeah. So, moment. so this was like 96... Yeah, you're going back some some time there. It must yeah. have been it must have been like over six ten then for sure. Yeah, it was like six twelve or something, and I had no idea. I had no idea, so I was like, "Well, fuck this kid. If he's if I got fifty pounds on him or more, 
I should be able to beat him. So then I just was like, well, I, should, I guess I should go that fast. And I just, just set out to do it. <laughs> it took me a it took me a couple of years, but I ended up doing it. And and um, I went five fifty five my junior year at the Crash Bees, and that's where I got invited to the next round. So when did um, you when did you find out that he was lying after you had beaten it? Yeah. So after I'd beaten it, and then there was this um, this story came out in USA Today about um, you know basically how he you know, went to the, the camp, the tryout camp for the 96 Olympics, but then got cut. And, and then, you know, I ended up rowing for Mike, Katie, who was supposed to, was the lightweight coach at that time. And Mike's like, yeah, I never, I can never get the guy to come to camp. And then we all, it sort of all came out in the wash, you know, and there, he got, his 6k got published in USA Today as the top 6k of the camp, um, at 1824. <laughs> And somehow it like got past all that. I don't know if people thought it was it well, was real or what, but like I don't know. I, mean, I think it's then, just I like mean, I think people are just like they don't really like. It's not like I don't. There's not many people that like will make up oog times. Yeah, I think it's I'm like, actually that's the sort first of like time, honorable. That's the first time I've ever heard someone doing it because even even in South Africa, like when you ask someone, you know, how, what did when 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 we like in the holidays and like. You know, you say like, "What did you do on Wednesday for your pieces?" You just hit the numbers out, <laughs> and uh, yeah. you, know, you don't lie about it because <laughs> we just got to catch your ass at one point in training. <laughs> exactly, and I think you know, it all blew up in this guy's face a little bit, but you know, I think, and twenty years down the road, we've you know, well, you know, we've made up and it's yeah, like stored no, back yeah, in yeah, a circle, sure. which is like a beautiful thing about rowing. It's yeah. like you let that kind of stuff go. I mean, he's got there was other other things going on there, but. So, but then I, I made my uh, first camp, right, under-23 camp to try to make the under-23-8. This was in 97. And I remember my first seat race, um, I beat this kid from Brown. And <laughs> at the end of the at – the, at the, he realized he had lost, and he just, like, threw a fit, like a temper tantrum. And he's just, like, hitting the boat and screaming that he can't believe he lost to a guy from Ohio State. And I was like, oh, man, I've made it. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was job done. Yeah. yeah, job done. <laughs> oh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what happened? Because I, I see you on, on your, when I looked, when we look back at your history, you actually never raced as an under 23, um, or at least on, yeah. on Fisa's results. So chat to us a bit about, like, what happened after that? How did you actually gets into the trialing process for the senior men's aid. Okay, yeah, so um, in 97, I made the under-23-8, and we went to, we were training for nationals that year, which was in Tennessee, like our, like the, you know, like the, the club kind of nationals for the summer. And so the way Mike used to run it is that he would have the seniors come to that and the under 23s come to that. And then we would all race each other. And if the under 23s did well enough against the seniors, he would invite those boats back to the senior camp and we would train together and then basically, um, try out for the senior eight. And so my first year at 97, I was in the under 23, eight sitting seven seat and I broke a rib and, while I was training, but I didn't know it. I was like so sort of naive and dumb. I didn't know, know that I was really that hurt. I just thought I was sore. And I went water skiing on it. And then that's when I was like, 
at some pop, and I was like, oh fuck, that that's not good. Yeah, but then that's, I didn't tell anybody. What is being really anybody. good for your ribs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially yeah, your I, broken ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I it was a you could see it on an X-ray. Like normally it's like a little fracture. This was like a crack. Oh, and so then I tried to row through it, and I went into nationals, and I was like stroking this cox four and we're doing a start and that's what i was like it really went and i couldn't even move or breathe so i basically took a bus home and was out for 10 weeks finished up my senior year at college and then i went back the next summer and did under 23s again and made the boat again but then we went to nationals the same way and we did well enough against the senior eight that we got to go back and then he seat raced that's when i seat raced into the senior eight in 1998 so before we left for 23s, he took Mike took me and this other kid Tom Welsh, a Princeton guy, out of the under 23 eight and put us in the senior eight. Flip, that's epic. So you yeah. you you missed under 23s the year before because of injury, which always sucks. And then you go yeah. the next year, you rock back in and then skip yeah. the whole under 23 scene and get selected straight into yeah. an eight that that is already winning. Like they're already world champions '97. So that must have yeah, been really, yeah. really epic to to step into to that sort of eight. I mean, that must have been uh, quite a step up for you it, at that point. It was surreal, and it was um, at first it was just like I can't, I couldn't believe it was happening. It was mind blowing, and it was like very. I was very nervous. I was like, basically, don't do anything to fuck this up, or else you're never gonna row again. <laughs> yeah, that's all about that. I remember doing our first, the first time we did starts was, it was by, by far the fastest boat I'd ever been in. And it was like a rocket ship. And I was like in bow seat and I, I caught about six crabs in about 10 strokes and just completely out of it. And that's exactly, that was exactly what I was going to ask you was how was the first start? Because I also, when I was at school, um, uh, we at our national champs then I stepped into the senior eight that was um, one of the guys was injured so I stepped into this eight and even just warming up I was like holy shit and then the start <laughs> I honestly thought I was going to get ejected out of the boat all I was thinking was just put the blade in and take the blade out and do not fuck this up <laughs> exactly. you don't want to be That's the guy that costs at the race yeah oh, oh it's so fun though and the co- Teddy was like hey just take a breath calm the fuck down put your blade to the water and then and then i sort of picked it up it got it got much better um once i figured it out but um yeah it was crazy and i also got very lucky i was i came up with a group of guys um that were already on the team that were very open and welcoming and um you know serious people and so it was like I, i i got very lucky in that sense yeah, flip man, that is really cool. So like you step into this eight and then, I mean, you don't, you guys, especially the US team, I mean, even now it's like, you don't travel a lot to like, there's not a lot of like racing at the World Cup scenes and uh, the early regattas in the year. Yeah. It's, it's most of the time go to world champs and uh, and do the business. So like, how was it building up into that? I mean, obviously you guys knew that you had speed from, uh, from the 97 racing, but I mean, still must have been a, a big question mark going into 98 uh whether you guys could win or not yeah I, I don't know it was like i i was so new to it that i just was feeding off the guys that had done it before um and there was just such swagger those guys that group like he probably could have put any combination together 
and it probably would have would have won a medal or at least or won the worlds that year. It just was like such a competitive environment and so many good rowers that actually didn't make it. That I just felt so lucky to be there that I was like, I gotta I gotta like live up to the expectations and, and not fuck it up and do my best. Um, and it was like I just was feeding off. They just had so much confidence that they were gonna crush people that we were gonna win that it was like. I, I just was like, of course we're going to win, <laughs> even though <laughs> secretly I had I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it, it's it must be quite a quite an epic feeling, like getting put into such a competitive group of athletes. And I guess I mean we've uh, a couple of of the other uh, people we've spoken to on the show, especially starting at at a later stage. One of the big thing things that come across is that when you when you get put into like a group of guys that have been doing something for such a long time and you're fairly new to it, you can act, you actually learn a lot faster. And a lot of the things that we pick up is that you actually don't learn a lot of bad habits that you probably get if you start rowing in school. So you're really, you know, learning from the, the best of the best. And in your case, you literally were learning from the, the world champion uh, eight and all the rows there and, and world champion coach. So it must be an awesome feeling like that. It must have skyrocketed, skyrocketed your your technical ability and proficiency in the boat. I think so. I mean, I, I definitely learned a lot. I think I learned mostly how to race. I think that's what I learned mostly from those guys is like how, I mean, I say that because if you, when they would go out in small boats, I was by far the worst person, which wasn't very often. Um, but it was to the point where Mike put me and this other kid out in a pair with pontoons on it. So he wouldn't flip. What? That's um, we were that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh he basically was just like so frustrated with this but then i i learned like i learned how to pull hard i learned how to like really 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 push myself and i learned like what it really takes to like the level of and the depths you can go to as far as you know how physical it can be um in those years and how 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 much you have to want to win and how much you have to put it of yourself you have to put into that to make it happen um Whereas I think a lot of a lot of people that I've coached over the years now, and a lot, and I think sometimes if you learn earlier, or you, you don't get the opportunity to be in an environment like that, it's like you try to make the boat feel good, and you try to make things good first before you you go out and you try to win. And this was all like, no, no, fucking get your bow ball ahead. That's the first step. Mm, yeah. <laughs> then then you try to look. Then you try to row well. <laughs> That's some uh, that's some wisdom yeah, there. That's I think uh, wisdom. <laughs> a lot of people could uh, could take that uh, yeah. that too hard. That's really cool. Boat speed is king. Yeah. So, exactly. Exactly. So then, like, so okay, so let's uh, the the only racing at world champs. Like, what sort of racing, or is it like just training and training against each other? Is that the like racing experience that you're getting earlier in the year? Um, or yeah. are you like going? Yeah, that's and, pretty much it. Okay. That's interesting. So. We, the Charles was a big deal, the head of the Charles. Like, we trained hard yeah. for that. Um, and our goal was to win that by as, as much as we could. And that was back before they were bringing the grade eights. So it wasn't as hard as it is now. Um, but it was just that. And it was inner squad stuff and the erg. And it was highly competitive on the erg. And we spent, we didn't even go anywhere for the winter. So we spent, say, basically from January, January, February, and part of March all on the erg and in the weight room. And so, that became a bit of a grind. I think that toughens, toughened us up a little bit. But it was just like there were so many good guys that you were just, it was always two eights or three eights next to each other. You know, and it'd be like everything was hard. Everything was full pressure. And it was like you're, 
everything every time you launched you're you were going out to win the day and so i think that having that mentality from the get-go and like every time you showed up to the boathouse i think made us feel like we no matter who we were going to race at the worlds we were going to be ready um it's kind of like our women's team is now where they feel like if they make the boat they're going to be the best boat in the world because they've already beaten yeah. who they see as the best rowers in the world yes flip i yeah because we chatted to to emily regan one of the early episodes on the on the eight and flip man that uh women's yeah. section the usa women's team is so yeah. crazy uh, it's a juggernaut yeah yeah no, it's really crazy. so impressive yeah i i kind of yeah. i think it's actually i mean for the listeners out there i mean i mean it's a bit different for us here because we don't have the kind of size of the athletes available like the depth that you're talking about is yeah. ridiculous so i guess it's a bit different when you have like 24 athletes available to select one eight and it must be you know every day like you're going out there and there's there's always someone to you know get ahead of or you know people that are you know busy trying to get your spot so shit that must, yeah. be, that must be a crazy environment exactly. just to you know deal with on a day-to-day basis yeah it makes it it makes a big difference i mean and i could also i mean i mean in the end look it didn't exactly work out the way we had hoped yeah you know that environment we got fifth we ended up choking a bit uh, but there's a lot of factors in there but um you know it's like it's not the easiest environment to survive in for very long mm. um but it does get a lot out of you. So, um, so Jakey and I watched the, the that uh, documentary on Find YouTube, Balance. Find Balance. Um, <laughs> look, there was cool stuff in there, though. There was. There was I don't really know how cool you stuff. feel about it, but like, obviously, they do a fair amount of foreshadowing in the later half of that of that kind of like movie about obviously your disappointing result at the Olympics. But, but a lot of that stuff was awesome to watch, especially when you, the whole video starts and Mike Teddy's like, "Okay, guys." You're racing for a part on the fucking Olympic team, and then straight off the yeah. bat, I was like, "Oh, I got good goosebumps," because it was it's quite yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's what it was like. I mean, that's exactly what it was like at practice every day. And you, he would just like he knew how to push buttons and how to get that emotion out of you, um, which I, I think is uh, invaluable um, and hard to hard to teach and hard to hard to do. Um, but you saw in that video, you saw how big that team was, and that was like yeah. all lightweights and heavyweights and everything. But that was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, and you saw how many good guys there were there. I mean, like Coven was there; he had just, he had won the single at ninety eight. Like he was good. Like there's so many good people. Yeah, um, it's it's was just like the, I think that the first like half an hour of that video is just insane for me. Yeah. Like, and also because yeah. showing you guys like I feel like. Um, Mike Teddy's like also plays like a lot of like mental games with you guys on like how I mean I don't I know there's I don't I wanted to ask about like the one piece the the Cox is like no we're going off at uh, stroke rate thirty and the piece is going to be between one minute and twenty five minutes <laughs> so is that like you have no idea what the hell you're gonna go and do you have no idea um, and and Mike would do that a lot he'd be like this fucking piece is going to be anywhere from thirty seconds to thirty minutes whoever gets their bow ball uh, whoever gets a length wins so Yo, that's like outrageous three, uh, three three even boats and we knew it and you just were like don't be the boat that dies don't be the boat that fades and, and he would usually it would usually go 
it would never go to like 30 minutes or 25 minutes. It would usually, he would call it like around 10 or 12 minutes if it, if it lasted that long. That's all but it was like, it was soul breaking. It would be like stroke for stroke, full pressure, somewhere in the lower cadences, like mid 20s to 30. And it would just be full tilt until someone cracked. Oh. And then you do it again. <laughs> oh my god yeah because then they like then you like swap basically you swap yeah you swap uh yeah. cruise and then uh go and do it again i couldn't believe it i was like no, that's that, that would be that's, intense that's how you separate the men from the boys old school yeah ex- exactly exactly yeah. I, I i will never like that those <clears throat> those experiences are the ones that like set me up for the next four years basically yeah, so like I think we can go into like uh, the 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 two thousand games a little bit, but then like I, what I what I really want to get it's like so interesting because like the team did so well in the build up, so like ninety seven world champs, ninety eight world champs, ninety nine world champs, then fifth at the games. Whereas the next cycle, it's a lot of like it's a lot of you know thirds, fourths, like every now and then there's a good result, and then it's like Olympics, bang, we are cooking. Then you're like on form. It's like almost the opposite, which is. Uh, yeah, just like interesting. so interesting to see and like a lot of there's a lot of that in like the other countries as well yeah so like canada really trying for they they two-time world champions going into the 2004 olympic games and then, and then they come fifth yeah. and then like the british as well before so it's like a lot of countries sort of struggling to string together the like multiple years of uh of first place yeah i my theory is that like rowers aren't used to that kind of pressure and the hype of that, like very few people like, you know, like Murray and Bond, they, they can handle it. Like the German eight is kind of used to it cause they're kind of celebrities at home. But like, I, I think that like for American rowers, it's like, we're not used to being in the spotlight. <laughs> and so we, we, we really thrive on being the underdog. Yeah. And so it, it was, it was hard for us to sort of like, know exactly how to handle that um and i think we just cracked a little bit you know and, and you crack a little bit at the olympic level it's like you're fifth yeah it's only a couple of seconds bit. off it's not like you yeah you know it's a small margin yeah. it's not uh you know. yeah yeah so um go ahead I, I just wanted to obviously like you know it's must have it must have sucked uh that that experience obviously at the time but you know there's there's often like when you look back at a lot of really top athletes careers there's oftentimes these these moments where you know you 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 do pretty pretty badly and and it's it's a gut-wrenching feeling but just a bit about like the lessons that you know you learn from that and and talk to us a bit about like you know how that experience you know you know turned into almost like more ammo for you the next cycle round like what are the things that you learned from coming fifth at the games after being a world champion twice that gave you the edge over your opponents 2004 olympic games where you guys smashed the field and won a gold medal yeah um so that's a good question i i basically that I, a very vivid <clears throat> memory of me for me is sitting in the stands at the end of the regatta in 2000, um, just by myself and looking at the course and everything was done. It's all wrapping up. And I just was like reflecting on, you know, the experience and the result. And, um, I was so new to it that it was like a big, 
it was eye opening for me. I was like, holy shit, this is this is real. This is real stuff. And I have to I have to get better if I'm going to have any any chance at, at doing this. And and then right while I was sitting in the stands down below me, the British eight was like celebrating with their families. And so it was like just the contrast of like an empty course watching them. And then like me just wallowing in my own misery, trying to figure out like how to how to make it happen next time or what the hell went wrong. And that was it. So I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not I'm going to be on that side of it next time. Um, and just watching those those British guys, like how much they were like, how great it was for them. Um, so then going into the next quad, I basically my whole philosophy switched from okay like i went through this experience i know how to race i know how to pull hard like i know i got a lot out of that if i'm gonna take this to the next level i gotta figure out how to move boats of all all boats and so i had to finish school uh so i went back to ohio to finish uh college and mike sent out jason reed to come row with me and that's when we first started rowing the pair together and and it, it became for him and I it became like, okay, we're going to, we're going to look, we're going to be the best pair in the country and we're going to figure out how to do it. And so it literally was like that whole fall, we would go and row maybe 10 K in the pair and then come in and do a little bit of an erg, but it all, everything on the water was like one stroke at a time. Okay. How do we, how did the boat feel on that? Did we match? Did it go straight? Um, how can we, what are we going to try different on this next stroke and like make it better? And we just tried to figure out how to move the pair. And it worked and we, we came, we trained all year in the pair and then came back and we won like the sort of the speed order or the selection regatta that spring. And that sort of set us on a path as being the top pair the next four years through Athens. And it, the focus for me became more, I'm not going to, I'm not going to succumb to the grind. I'm going to like build through the quadrennial and be ready to go by the Olympic year. I'm not going to fade out this time. And so like, it was a sort of a subconscious pacing, I think, where I was like, uh, I, 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 I took it all seriously, but it was like I wasn't going to sweat the results as much year to year. Mm. Everything was sort of a stepping stone for the for the Olympics, um, and that that sort of you know that frustrated Mike a little bit at times because I, you know because of that I turned into a little bit of a dick, and <laughs> I was not an easy athlete to deal with. Yeah, uh, but because I was winning the pair, like it, it made it, it justified it a little bit. Yeah, um, and it was clear that I was like getting better, and I was clear that I was like trying to, you know, I was I was trying to develop some sort of style that's going to like allow us to get down that course in a more efficient way and a faster way. Yeah, and you know, I I find it quite interesting because I mean. We uh, here in South Africa, we we do a lot of training in skulls actually at the beginning of the season. And even though we none of us really race overseas in skulls, you know, there's I mean, it's same for you guys in the eight going to the pair. Like just because you you you're training in a smaller boat class doesn't necessarily mean you you're getting slower in your eight ability. It's often that the 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 idea for us at least is that you know the skull. There are a lot of things that the skull can teach you. Um, that you can't get in a bigger boat. And also another thing for us, now that we also rowing in force quite a lot, you know, the smaller the boat gets, the more sensitive and twitchy and like the more onuses 
is on the individual. So oftentimes, like training in these smaller boats, it makes you as an individual athlete and oarsman, you know, quite a lot better, or at least gives you the opportunity to like refine your rowing stroke a bit more. So when you get back into the eight, you know, you almost like on a, a different league, you've got su- such uh, a more efficient stroke and individually you have a much better idea about how a boat moves. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. And it's like, it, Tatey said something to me once that stuck with me. And he, he basically said, like, it's not like you row different in an eight or a pair. It's just slightly different dynamics, but you're still, you're still rowing the same stroke. It's just things happen faster in an eight. Mm. And so you just have, and you have more time in the small boats to feel the things that you're trying to, to do to move the boat. And so that stuck with me because I always had that in the back of my mind when I was rowing the pairs. It's like, okay, yeah, we can move this pair, but like, okay, how is this going to translate to the eight? If I do this, I'm going to have to do that a little bit differently in the eight. Um, you know, but it was like, you're right. You're trying to develop the whole oarsman. It's like, okay, can, if I can move any boat, then I, I'm going to be able to win more races mm. <laughs> than if I can only move one boat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, so then like, was like, how was like the, because the, like the training and, and stuff, is it like uh, you guys race a lot of different events and stuff coming now into 2004? Was there like a big difference in the like team dynamic and like uh, the coaching from uh, Mike Tady and that sort of thing? Because I know the team changed quite a lot. Yeah, it did change quite a bit. Like the, the yeah, FB so goal. A lot of new guys, basically. Yeah. A lot of new guys showed up. And it was, so in 05, it was like we, we doubled up. So there weren't a lot of guys around in 05. So I doubled up in the four and the eight. Um, so four of us from the eight doubled into the four. So it was like a smaller group. But then the next year, it kind of grew. Um, but it, the dynamic was like a lot, a lot of new guys, only three returners from the 2000 Olympics and in those first years. And then one of them didn't make it. And then, another, and then Chris Aarons came back in in 2007. Um, so that was, those are the three guys from the 2000, 2000 boat that made the 2004 boat. Um, but the dynamic was, it was Mike had calmed down quite a bit. Um, he, he changed his style a little bit. Like he didn't, you know, wasn't as much like bravado and yell and scream. It was a lot more meetings, a lot more like strategy and a lot more like, I think he too was like, I'm not going to make that same mistake twice. So I'm going to make sure that I get the best guys in that boat. Mm. And so I think the biggest shift was shifting to the pairs as a selection metric. So it in that eight was basically the top four pairs or four of the top five or six pairs. Um, and we did a whole pair pairs matrix. And that was the other thing that we, we didn't spend all winter on the earth. We went to, we came here to San Diego and trained at our training center for three months and did three days there. And so we put in a ton of work right before the Olympics, all in the pairs and fours. Mm. Um, and so he, he shifted it from really being competitive in eights to making it more competitive in small boats. And I think, you know, one of the reasons was, is that you're, you, what you guys just said is that it does hold you more accountable and it holds the individual more accountable. So it became this like very open and honest, um, assessment of our skills and then he basically just let the cream rise to the top and that's who made the boat 
Jeez, it must have been like uh, quite a change as well going doing those crazy pieces in the eight against each other to like not having <laughs> like pair. I don't know, 15 pairs or whatever lining up and, and doing the same yeah. sort of thing. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, and it was, I mean, it was, it was fun, uh, but it was also, it was hard at, at times where, you know, it, we, it got pretty dark there for a while where we were like, man, what the fuck, this is going to work, what's going to happen? Um, but we came out of it and it, 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 it ended up working pretty well. Because well. when we spoke to Emily from the US mm. women's team, that she said that they hardly rode the eight even. They like they spent so much time in the pits yeah. and the smaller boats that like they only really get into the eight properly like once they travel and once they're at uh, at the World Cups or the World Champs. Yeah, yeah, they definitely don't. Yeah, they row fours a lot, fours and pairs a lot. They do a lot of sculling too. They do a lot of um, mm. a lot of those in the fall, especially. Yeah, yeah. So then. Talk us through 2004 because that was like this is this yeah. is your year of like I mean there's some crazy results in there and you guys have so much speed this year it's just insane. Yeah. So like yeah. uh, you race at the World Cup three which is the Lucerne World Cup uh, the big one of the year uh, in the four so maybe you can maybe start there first. Yeah, this is the, yes. for me. I'm just saying I feel Go like ahead. this this result is in my head more impressive than you you guys winning a gold medal at the olympics i'm I just don't saying know. i don't know this... i feel like this result is nuts <laughs> i feel what you're saying though because it was so unexpected yeah and it's not something we've ever been we've ever been good at is the straight four really i mean we were for a while in the 80s and early 90s yeah but um it, i gotta be honest it was really fun uh beating matt and uh Pinset, that was really fun. He he won't ever let me, you know, gloat. But <laughs> <laughs> he, he's always he's always good at uh, giving it right back. Yeah, I'm sure it's not a race he wants to speak uh, about. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was so basically. You know, the funny part about that four is that we were getting beat at home. I know that's that's the crazy thing about that. That's also crazy. Yeah, I saw in a video there so, was like Mike, there was a video where. Um, you guys were getting interviewed for in 2014 or something, a 10-year reunion, and you were saying on the Lucerne results that you guys were getting beaten at home by the other four. Yeah, we were. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I and I always tell those guys, those guys, like, I could have won if I wanted. I just was lazy. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just a, uh, the people that know me know that I'm a very lazy athlete. Like, I hate training. I don't like doing the work. I'm just lazy. I want to like go out and like have fun and row and race. Like I'm like the, the work part of it is like, I have to be, I have to be put under pressure to, to do that. Um, so like I was a, probably a very frustrating person to train with because so many of those days and those practices, I would like lose by a little bit the first half of practice. And then I would win by a lot in the second half of practice. Cause I, I would just, <laughs> I'd be like, all right, fuck it, I'm I'm done playing around. You sound like the worst. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would hate to race against Coach is you. Coach's worst nightmare. Total prick. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, I there was reasoning for me. Like I was trying to develop, like our second half. I was I, I was like I like the sprint, and so I was like I gotta I gotta learn how to develop this. And I was always like in my mind, I, I don't know, even know if it was right. I was like, I got to be able to pace it and then go to be able to win these races. Because I, I didn't think we were ever going to be able to win from like lead. I didn't think we were ever going to be able to lead. Yeah. Um, and so that 04 race, yeah, we went over like, there, well, there's a crazy story. 
one of the guys in our boat was the night before or two days before we left for Lucerne was like a big like block party in Princeton. And it was like, uh, it was like a 4th of July party or something like that. I think I can't remember. Anyway, there was like the local pub or the bar in town. Um, you know, had like a fenced off area and we all went there and, um, we're drinking and having a good time. And, uh, one of our guys got arrested, um, nice. spent the night in jail, and got Katie's car impounded. <laughs> and so we're sitting down there the next day for practice, waiting for him. We have no idea where he is. Nobody's heard from him. And he just comes rolling down the hill in the same clothes he was wearing the night before. And <laughs> the whole time, Mike's like, where the fuck's Dan? Where's Dan? Where's Dan? We're like, well, you know, he's, he's probably just in the bathroom. He's probably taking a shit or something. And then uh, here he comes rolling down the hill. And Mike just gives him, like, like, yells at him, good scolding. And then he goes and changes. We get in the boat. And we went the fastest we've ever gone that day. <laughs> seven, 750s. <laughs> like, we went, like, we, went, we did, like, a 201 750 in that four or something like that. Um. And so, just lightning fast. And then so we were just, like, super excited and pumped to go race. And, you know, if you watch the earlier races of that of that regatta, like, we were, like, barely qualified. That's why we were in lane one. Um, and I don't know if it was a combination of, like, you know, it's a short trip, so there's a little bit of jet lag, so we're not quite ready right away. Um, but I think more of it was just that I'm, I'm a lazy rower. I didn't want to, like, go all out in the first races. <laughs> Yeah. which was also probably frustrating but we we barely qualified and actually in the semifinal, uh jr our bowman was screaming four lanes across at um what is yanni who does yanni row for shit who yanni not this not the serbs you can start there's a guy yeah it was like yeah he was like yelling at that boat over there like telling them not to sprint because we were already all in qualifying position what? <laughs> he's like Yanni don't go don't sprint and like clearly they went berserk and they beat us and we got third in the semi nice and so that's, that's why we were in lane one and I feel uh, like that's what you get <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, it was just such a fun regatta because we had no expectations that's the beauty of that regatta for us is that we no one expected anything of us we didn't really know like, we knew we were fast. We didn't know if we could win or not. But, like, it just was like we were in the race, in the race, in the race right there. And then that second half, it was just like, fuck, man, I feel good. Let's go. And I just, like, 750 to go was just downhill. And it just kept getting faster and faster and faster as we went. And uh, one of the most fun races I've ever been in. Yeah. And, I mean, the I mean you spoke about the British fall, but, I mean, the Canadian fall as well, that is a proper thug fall there oh yeah because i mean yeah those guys were yeah yeah they were well i just think it's like the reason it's so epic is that like if you ask like any rower like that's maybe it's at least in a top three of like greatest races all time the fours race at the 2004 olympic games where there's like huge battle between canada and uh gb and like spinsent and barney williams and da 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 and it's like yeah but actually like three months before this they just got pounded by the, the USA. USA guys who, <laughs> who are cruising in the eight. That's very cool. Which just makes that story yeah. really cool. But then, the, I mean, like Jake says he likes that race more than your eight. I think that eight race, for me, is like, that's 
it's also in my top five races of all time. That yeah. ace race is yes, unreal. Yes, pounded that race. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's in my top five too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, the, uh, what was the question? Say something about the race. Uh, oh, just like, may I just tell, just tell us a bit about that race. I mean, you guys, first you just dominate the race like crazy. I mean, you, you, you got to clear water basically at the thousand meter mark and, uh, yeah. just really good, uh, a good race. So uh, tell us about how that was. Mm. Um, that was the most nervous I'd ever been before a race by far the most nervous I'd ever been. And do you guys know who Carl Lewis is? He's a, um, tracks. Oh yeah. He's a track sprinter. sprinter. Yeah, and he's like, so he's, he is like, I grew up watching him, and he's like an icon over here. And I, um, he came to our race that day. And so I was like, gonna throw up so nervous. Like, I was pacing, I was like, really, I was like, oh shit, I've never been this nervous before. I think mostly because I knew that we could win. Um, and he basically came over and talked to us, and he said, a, a complete naive, no, no, knows nothing about rowing, and the only thing he said is, well, Ain't nothing to it but to do it. And I was like, you know what? He's fucking right. I yeah. just got to go out and race. And it like immediately calmed me down. And it was a hot day that day. And um, so we, we did our warm-up in the warm-up area. And I, we got about halfway through the warm-up, maybe halfway through the warm-up. And I was like warm. <laughs> and so I said to our coxswain, I said, Chip, I said, Chip, I'm warm. And he like pulls the mic and he goes, are you fucking serious? You, you don't need to warm up anymore? I was like, no, I'm good, man. I'm ready. <laughs> he goes, okay. And uh, I don't know if, you, if they said this in the, the, the interview. I think Wyatt talks about it. But basically, he chips like, hey, guys, Volk's warm. And are you guys good to go? And to a man all the way down the boat, they all said yes. And I think that just says a lot about how much trust we had in each other yeah. as a crew. And so we basically just sat under the bridge and watched the women's eight go by and then pulled into our lane and just sat there. I think we did one more start and then we just sat there like telling jokes and like dicking around. And for me, that's like the reason I I talk about this because it's like the, the looseness that this crew had, the confidence and how loose we were, I think was a big part of our speed. Um, is that we really trusted each other and we trusted that if we were just loose and had fun with it, we would go as fast as we possibly could. Um, now some of the other guys might not think that I don't know exactly. No, I think it's like, (laughs) I think it's like spot on. I think, and like, especially at like such, you know, like the, the games, it's like, it's such a big event that like you can get so carried away with like the bells and whistles attached to like this, this huge thing that's like, just so insane when you look at it yeah. but if you take it down a notch and you're like okay it's just a fucking 2k race i gotta start here and i gotta yeah. race down the track and like exactly you've done the most training like you're in the best shape that you could possibly be in at that point like yeah. you all you got to do is go and execute this race and i think being loose being relaxed is is key for for that and i think like i like what you say like the nerves before are like so high but then like once you get on yeah. and you start that warm-up and you realize like actually we, we, we know what we're doing a little bit, yeah, and you have that huge trust in the crew, then it's, uh, yeah. makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, so, at, so our basically our race strategy, like everybody, you know, because based off the heat, we had that big sprint and it came through the Canadians. Um, and they saw, you know, they all saw the Lucerne race, so they knew that we could sprint, right? They knew that that was like sort of something that we could do, and we knew that people knew that. 
we just assumed people were expecting us to have a good sprint. So we, our thinking was that everybody else's strategy would be to get up on us as much as they could. And so our goal was to have like really well executed start, have our best start, but then like right around 600 meters, like take a move to just hold the field and not let them get any more margin that they might already have. Because we, we assumed they were going to sell the farm to sort of get ahead. And if we could hold them, then we could get through them at the end. Um, and so that was our strategy. But, you know, you watch that race, we get the 600 in and we're up. And yep. way up. Our coxswain, way up. And our coxswain's like, all right, guys, uh, looks like we've held the field. No one's moving. And let's fucking go. It's time to, and he just flipped he flipped it a little bit and changed our strategy completely and we mm-hmm. went from like trying to defend to like attacking <clears throat> and if you watch that race like I'm I'm basically not doing shit in that part of the race it's you, you watch the middle of that boat and those guys are throwing bombs like for the next 500 meters they are just caning it and um, that's I think to me that's the most impressive part of that race and that, that got us the margin and <laughs> halfway down uh, we're like a length up and i'm like no fucking way is this this can't be right this is not how it's supposed to go down this is, uh, we went out way too hard we're all yeah. gonna die <laughs> and, and so but if, that's why i let it come down to a 35 i was like shit we gotta take it easy <laughs> it's not gonna end well and uh but but it did it was fine it was like the rhythm i think carried us through like it was a really easy rhythm in that boat and We've had lots of days like that where it just felt that good. And so it was very familiar for us to have that rowing, but I just didn't expect to be up by that much. Um, and then, uh, so before, I think a couple of days before that, Mike was telling this story about how he, his crew was the only crew to ever win, I think in 87, to ever win by open water. And so we're like, we have a length coming in the last 500. And I wanted, I was like, I thought about that. And I was like, that fucker, I'm gonna, like, I want to win by water. <laughs> and so I told, I told Jeff, I said, get open. <laughs> and he called this move to like try to get open water. And we already had a length. And as soon as I went harder on that next stroke, I could feel the crew say, uh, uh-uh, uh, no way, dude. <laughs> like yeah. we're going to win this race and you are not going to fuck it up. <laughs> and so, I was like, okay, okay, back it off, just back to the rhythm. Wow, <laughs> back amazing. to the rhythm. Yeah, like nobody catch a crab. And so, uh, yeah, and then it was like, and it just was like, defend, defend, and then our at some point the Dutch started to move pretty seriously, and I was looking at the Aussies the whole time to the right, and our seven man Bo just just says Dutch. And I look to the left, and I see him coming, and then we take a little bit of another move going to the last 250, and that's we sort of stopped their move and um, and then went back to that sort of defensive rhythm. And, uh, yeah, the rest is history, man. It was crazy. Flip, that was such yeah, an awesome epic race. race. And then you've got your, your gold medal around your neck, four years in the making, yeah. eight years in the making. I mean, it must have been an especially sweet feeling after, you know, Sydney. You know, finally walking walk yeah. to the podium in Athens with that satisfaction of knowing that, you know, you, you went the whole distance and got the gold. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and to do it with, like, Chris and Chip and, you know, sort of for all the guys that went through it in 2000, it was – we had a little moment afterwards where we just, like, sort of big group hug 
the th- one of the three of us that had been in Sydney and, uh, you know, just kind of like, it was like a sigh of relief, basically the weight off our, our shoulders. And, you know, it's like people ask me all the time, like, what did, what did it feel like? What were you thinking on the, um, awards doc? And it's like, it was amazing. Like I, I thought I'd be like, you know, in tears, jumping for joy, like having this big emotional reaction. And it was honestly, it was nothing but pure contentment. Like I felt completely content in everything that I had done. And like we'd achieved our goal and it was like almost surprisingly unemotional. Um, to the point where I was like, man, am I a sociopath? Like, is it, (laughs) should I be feeling more like, but it was like such satisfaction of like achieving it that it was like, I went, I went home two days later. Also, you've done like a, you've done like a huge block. It's like six years basically in the making for you of like being in the team and like those first victories. And then like, you know, 2000 to 2003 is not like the easiest time for you. It's not like, uh, you're just rolling gold to gold and, uh. So like oh, then yeah. to hit through all of that and then like to come away with this uh, massive win is just I think it's freaking amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it made it. It was a good. It was a big deal. It was really fun. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. I think in my ten years on the team, I only won six races. <laughs> um, and you know, I think people. A lot of people, you know, they think it's just so rare to have crews that dominate. You know. And it's much more a normal experience to lose the majority of your of your races that you row in. And I think that you can't let that kind of stuff discourage you. Like, that's all part of the process. And I think that was a big deal for us. Like, going in 04 was like, yeah, we didn't win a lot or at all going in 04. Yeah. But it was like each, each of those years gave us more fuel for the fire and a little bit of an experience of like okay let's not make that mistake again let's let's take a step forward yeah i mean all looking at these crews that are like uh there's, there's a few crews that are winning you know uh, a whole cycle or, mm. or every race that they race but it's 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 one or two crews it's not um yeah, majority not of yeah, athletes feels- majority of athletes are winning yeah once every couple of years and that's enough fuel yeah. on the fire to to keep pushing them on that little bit more yeah, exactly. It makes it, it makes it special, I think, and um, it makes the wins mean more when you when you have to, you know, when you lose a lot and you have yeah. to suffer through those losses to sort of uh, get to the other side. Yeah, that's uh, that's also some some deep wisdom there. Um, the the question I want just to to finish off maybe on the two thousand times is is like. How was it stroking the eight? Because I mean, in two thousand, you you in the back of the eight, you you just cruising there in the boot and. Uh, in, in like the next Olympic cycle right in the front and, and what's it like going into the stroke seat of, of such a powerhouse eight or you know what's it like being in the front there yeah um, well it was a lot of fun like because <laughs> the guys behind me were really good so they made it very easy um, but it's also it, it is stressful it's like there's a lot of pressure in that seat um, and I I've very low-key personality and I'm, I'm competitive but i'm also like pretty chill i don't really get wound up about a lot of things and um i think that helped i think that was an advantage um you know like that that heat was the first time i'd ever stroked an eight at a race um i had never been in the stroke seat at a race before um so I think that inexperience, but you know, I stroked every day in the pairs and the fours at practice and sort of, I just had that confidence and I mostly just had confidence in the guys behind me that they were going to back me up and they had full confidence in me. 
Um, and that's amazing, like what that feeling can do for you. Like the kind of swagger and sort of attitude and confidence that it brings when you know that the guys behind you are like a hundred percent behind you and they have full confidence in what you're doing. It's like, it, yeah, you feel like you can do anything in that situation. And so that's, that's how I felt. It's like the guys behind me just like, I knew I had weapons. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely <laughs> helps when you got uh, got big ammo behind you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it definitely helps. I because I didn't feel like it was all on me. You know, I felt like, um, you know, Chris Aaron said something in that in that movie when he was being interviewed. A fine balance, basically. Like when he strokes, he feels like he's the instigator of change. So like anytime, you know, there's he needs to take a move or he starts the sprint, like he instigates he starts the change but then he feels like the crew takes over and like it just becomes a part of the rhythm and i think when you stroke a good crew like that that's exactly what it feels like it feels like once i started to do something or like like the crew could feel that i wanted to to go faster or up and raid or make a move or whatever it was they could they immediately picked up on it and took over and and the rhythm became a thing of itself you know um you know, it's that, that, that swing the old-timers talk about. Yeah. You know, they have that swing. Yeah. So, like, and, like, technically, I mean, when, we, when we're watching, like, the, the, the movie and then when we're watching your, your race in 2004, I mean, it looks like you guys are rowing, like, way better in by 2004. Yeah. Like, technically, way the eight looks huh? so slick yeah. in yeah. 2004. <clears throat> Is that, like, was that a big, uh, a big em- emphasis or big effort to, to get it to make those changes? Yeah, I mean, I think it gradually happened. I don't think it came from rowing the pairs. Um, I mean, basically, what what really happened was we were just we just kept getting beat by the Canadians, <laughs> and so finally, we were like, "Fuck it, let's row like they row." And we tried to like do that big swing and layback um, in the pairs, and and especially in that four. Um, and so Jared and I would mess around with it a bit, and it started to work. Like it was really effective, and especially at lower cadences. And so it sort of developed, that rhythm sort of developed out of that idea that like, man, these guys keep beating us. We got to try to do something to, to catch them. And, and so we just started rolling with a bit more swing and rebound. Um, you know, like you, you look at the 2000 crew and you can see me rowing and I'm like totally hunched over. It's like, I got the curve back. It's all fucking legs and just front end power and just sort of roll heat. Right. And the other one, Oh four, we, we became a little bit more nuanced and finessed over those four years of like really understanding like how to move a boat well, and there's there's just a different re- swing and rebound to it that I think really enhances the run of the boat. Yeah, and like um, you talking about the back end, and like I there's like two clear shots yeah. in my mind of like of the 2004 Olympic race, like when they're showing you uh, front on. Uh, down the boat and like the length of the front it's of the stroke disgusting. is so outrageous yeah it's like it, and it's like so textbook as well like yeah, if anyone, very loose shoulders anyone is looking how to be in a textbook position at the catch ready to lay down some big watts uh, that those two shots down the eight are really really perfect I mean I can't believe the length that you guys are rowing out the front of the stroke mm. yeah it's crazy and it was like easy it didn't, we didn't really talk about front end length that much now that I think about it, yeah, like it looks um, it looks easy and like and loose as well, which I think is why it's yeah. is so so effective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was it was easy to get up there and just sit, 
in that catch position. Like it wasn't like you, you never felt like you had to work to get to the catch. Um, and then yeah, you know, I think a lot of that came from the focus of our of our rebound. Yeah, and maybe just setting it up so much better off the back that the front end is yeah. uh, is all coming together quite easily. Mm. Yeah. So, and then the other thing I want to ask is like, how much like were you were you quite a lot stronger by uh, two thousand and four? Because I must say you look uh, you look way bigger in yeah. two thousand and four <laughs> than you look in two thousand. I don't even know if it's like just the video that they used in uh, in, in Athens or or if you like uh, just put on a bit of muscle. No, I yeah, I was a skinny little shit in two thousand. I graduated high school at one seventy, and then I raced under two hundred pounds in in Athens. I'm in uh, Sydney, so I was little. Not little, but I was like skinny, and uh, and then uh, I, I weighed two twenty five in Athens, so I put on a. Oh yeah. shit, that's um, monstrous! That's like a hundred yeah, kilos. Yeah, so I. Yeah, I was like over a hundred kilos, I think. Yeah, that's proper because you're definitely not uh, in the in the movie where you're busy uh, redoing your wall yeah, or, or doing some. Uh, <laughs> you're doing some yeah. sort of uh, polyfiller on the wall there. You don't, you don't look at it like a hundred yeah. kilos. <laughs> That's crazy. No, I was, I was, yeah, I, was, I put on a bit of weight, yeah. <laughs> but it was all because we did um, tons of training and tons of Olympic lifting in the, uh, that Olympic year, um, you know. And I and I, had, um, I was eating, I was eating a lot, eating well, but uh, yeah, it's all from the lifting, I think. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I think just getting older as well. I think yeah, uh, just get yeah. a little bit. It takes you know, take time. I think to build that that real muscle. Yeah, body strength. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so moving on, you you guys won yeah. two thousand and four, and then uh, start of a new Olympic campaign. Um, I mean, you took some. I mean, you did ro- you did race in two thousand and five, but then you took some time off in two thousand and six. Obviously, like yep. it's your third Olympic campaign. Um, just like you said, 2004 was so different, and then obviously 2008, that Olympic campaign is is a much is also going to be a, a a different perspective from you. Like you probably a lot more mature, a much older athlete. Um, a lot of you bring a lot of uh, seniority and experience to the crew, a lot of wisdom. Chat to us a bit about you know 2005 and then going into your time off. Yeah, so 2005 was. Um... I think a lot of momentum had just carried over from that 2004. And it was, again, it was a, a, a very small group, but there was a good core guys, core of guys that were back. Um, and so we didn't start training until later that year. Like, so basically we, we, all of us basically took the fall off and then we, we convened in like, you know, late fall, early winter in Princeton. And then just started training together. Um, and that eight actually, we only rode that eight like 11 times. Um, and on one of the times we, we almost broke the world record again at home. Like that eight it was super fast. It just, it was like one of those eights that like clicked. Um, and we didn't, and I think it's cause like the majority of us had been trained together for so long that it wasn't like, it wasn't much to do. Right. Um, but we were super still very fit from the year before, I think. And none of us like took a lot of time off from training. Um, and so that was a pretty fun year. And, you know, the four, we doubled up in the four and got fifth, which was kind of disappointing. But then, um, we won the eight, which was great. And it was like a very fun, very fun regatta. Um, and then after that, basically I was like 28 or 29 at that point. I can't remember. And, um, 
I hadn't had a real job. I'd been out of school for a while. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know. Uh, I got to. I was like, I got to figure out something to do with my life. And I'm laying there. I'm sleeping on this in this church where we were all living, and I was sleeping under a pool table on like a air mattress. So it's getting ready for the world. Oh, what's going on? Wait, wait, wait. His air mattress yeah. at a pool table. And in the church. church. Yeah, that was like, that was my bed. Oh, shit. And it was horrible. And <laughs> and I had lived there before the 2000 Olympics in a room. Like, that was like part of like the, the community of rowing. Like, if you came to town and you needed a place to stay, you could move into this like, it's like a church, but it's a house, right? It's yeah. like, there's a lot of rooms on either side of it. And, uh, so I knew the father there and I knew, you know, so he let me stay in like the rec room. So I was like, and I just lay in there and I'm like, fuck, I'm almost 30. I don't have any savings. I don't have a fucking career. I got to figure out something to do. <laughs> so as I'm staring up at the bottom of this pool table, I started like researching culinary schools and I decided, cause I really liked cooking. So I decided to go to culinary school and take a year off. And so that's what I did and uh, moved to Seattle uh, went to the art institute there and got a degree in culinary arts and then uh, worked in a few restaurants around town in Seattle for a bit and then started to get, you know, the itch to come back to rowing. And then I, you know, I talked to Mike about it and uh, he helped me out a little bit to be able to do it. And then I came back in 2007. Yeah. Now that's, so, that's quite yeah. a, that's, that's quite a, a year off. And I know, well, I don't actually know, but um, it seems like from all the cooking shows I've watched, it's working in a restaurant seems like the most ruthless job ever. So I'm sure your, your rowing, your, um, the, the time you spend rowing and like just slaving away with those pieces, like one minute to 25, that actually must've carried over quite well in the, into the kitchen when you like, you know, just going flat out, you know, non nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's very much the same kind of culture where it's like, there's a lot of pressure. It's very intense. And it's, uh, the, the expectations of perfection is also very high. Like every, everything that you're doing has to be on all the steps along the way, have to be done and executed properly for the end product to come out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, it was just, which it was why I liked it. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, love, I love working in, in restaurants. I mean, it's insane. Um, but it was a lot of fun. I'm sure that does sound actually yeah. pretty epic. Can I want to jump I lost, back? I lost all my weight too. I was back down under 200 pounds oh, no. for that year. That's yeah. not good. What? I thought, but I don't, don't you eat a lot if you, you cooking? Maybe it's just, <laughs> maybe it's just me being a dumb. No, yeah. At you, child. It's because you're, you're on your feet for like 10, 12 hours and you're just moving around and you don't have a ton of time to like stop and eat. So you're kind of just like nibbling. And then it's like, you know, after you get off at like 1 a.m., you go straight to the bar and you start drinking. <laughs> Shit. Well, maybe also, maybe you, maybe we're that good. And then like, <laughs> you didn't want to eat the food you're cooking. Yeah, exactly. That's probably part of it. I was just a <laughs> shitty cook. <laughs> Finish your thing. You said go drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to to doubling up in the eight and the four because there's not a yeah. there's not a lot of athletes that um, that have doubled up. We've chatted to quite a few um, of the the women that have doubled up, but what was it like doubling up uh, in uh, in like those two? Those are two huge events as well. Like that's a ton yeah. of racing to to get done in one week. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part about it is the practicing. 
during the week. Like getting enough quality rows in in each boat to make them both worthwhile, I think, is the hardest thing. Um, so you either, either one just has to click like the egg did, or you got to kind of it's just going to be a struggle to make them both work. Mm. Um, the four was okay. It wasn't. It was one guy different than the O four four, and it was still pretty good. It just I don't think we had that. We didn't have that same sort of vibe and trust in each other, and like it just didn't have that same easy speed. But it was still pretty good. But then, and then like, um, and it, it, oh, go ahead. Uh, does like do you think like doing that many races also like how much does that affect the the speed at like the end of the week now that you've you know you've put yourself out um, there so many times? I didn't notice that too bad. I didn't think it was that bad, you okay. know. Because, you know, because we won the heat in the eight, and then we don't race again to the end of the week. Oh, so yeah, it's like, oh, no, it's yeah. just like... So it's only one extra yeah. race, basically, for the until yeah. you, you... Okay. Yeah, okay. so it, did, it, it wasn't that bad. I think if we had not won the heat, or if there had been more eights, and we had to do a semifinal or something, that would have, like, yeah. that would have been rough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I suppose then it's not, uh, like, that much more. You got, like, straight from the heat, and then the eight is only at the end of the regatta. You don't really have to think about it again. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and then getting when you when you were getting back into the system like 2007 i mean that must have been quite a you know quite a different experience like taking a year off and then you know going back into you know the the rowing system and it must have been like quite quite ruthless i mean obviously by that stage you were uh obviously experienced and you know you've you've gotten the whole the whole nine yards but you know getting back into the 2007 system i'm sure it must have been quite a um, you know, obviously it was great to be back, but I'm sure it must have also been quite tough getting getting back into the flow of things. Yeah, it is because it's like you know they move on. <laughs> like the group, like when I left the group and then came back, the group had doubled in size, you know, and they were all training for two years, and it was very serious, and you know they were all very committed to like making that that aid and making the Olympic team, and so and I come back in and I'm a little bit I'm lighter, I'm a little bit more out of shape. And, you know, I do have the experiences and, and all that kind of stuff. But like the bottom line is you can't, you can't avoid doing the work in rowing. Like you just can't, like if you don't do the work, you're, you, I don't care how good you are. You're not going to be able to row your way out of that. Mm. Um, and so when I first came back, I was getting beat up pretty bad. Um, you know, and it's like, I lost a bunch of pieces. I would lose at practice. You know, I had people like, you know, during pieces, like, they would be passing our boat and they'd be like yelling overrated and like, like talking shit. And I'm like, fuck man, I'm getting my ass kicked. But you know, it's kind of, you got to go through that. Like it's a good wake up call. Right. And, um, I remember we were doing this lactate testing, which we rarely do, you know, well we had, we would do these VO two tests with this, um, physiologist who had been, been with the team since like the eighties. Um, and, but, for this one particular day, he was doing these like step tests. So basically we would go out and we would do a, a step 2k and then he would take blood. And, you know, I remember he basically, we did it. He took all my blood. He got all my numbers and he basically after practice, he pulled me aside. <laughs> he goes, and I've known him for a long time. So we were good friends. And he goes, uh, he's like, Volt, look, I know that you think you're going really hard. I know that you think you're training hard. And I know you think that it hurts. But based on the numbers, you're being a pussy. <laughs> you're not. It, you can go way harder. And I was like, oh, okay, good to know. And I think that was the hardest transition. Is like you forget, and this happens to so many people. 
like when they have success, they forget what it took to get there. And they forget how hard they, they work to get there because they only remember the success. They only remember the end result. Um, and I think I was lucky to have that guy pull me aside and tell me that because, you know, I could have just cruised the, like, the next year and sort of, you know, maybe we wouldn't have got a bronze. Yeah. You know, maybe I wouldn't have made the boat. Um, to have someone to say, like, look, it's he's still got to do the work. I don't care how good you think you are or how hard you think you're working. It's not enough. Um, and I think it's a good reminder that, like, it, complacency – it kills and you, you have to, you know, you can't avoid putting in the time and the work. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's one aspect about rowing that I, that I really love is that, um, you know, the, you know, obviously like people can be proficient with their rowing stroke and, you know, there's a certain amount of talent that goes into, you know, training and stuff. But like you said, if you don't, you know, guys are training, you know, 11 months, 12 months they're training 48 weeks they're putting in three hour well even longer but yeah they're going yeah, to hold yeah. nine yards if you if you're not doing this no amount of talent or you know any sort of proficiency is going to help you because guys are going to you know get in the boat and they're going to have a much bigger engine than you and you're going to be left in the dust yeah, exactly totally true yeah that's some serious that's what, uh, wisdom coming on there yeah yeah I mean, it's like that whole, I, that's why I hate the thing when people say ergs don't float. I hate it. Because hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, but at the top levels of every, of every, the top people at every level, like they all have good ergs yeah. and they're talented. And you know what? Those fuckers float <laughs> when yeah. they get into the boat. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, beat the crap I, out of you. I think that, that doesn't apply so much when we're talking about like elite level rowing. Maybe at like club no, level. No, not at all. Yeah, but elite yeah, level, yeah, that shit will get you nowhere. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so then, and then you did. So obviously, that uh, gave you the wake up that you that you needed to to get your get your ass in gear and pull a bit harder. And you made yeah. it into the boat, and you you made it to the the Beijing Games. Yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to row the four. That was my. That's what I told Mike I wanted to do. So we raced the four again in 07, and we didn't make the final by like a bow ball like the French we, we were running with the Brits again in the front of the semifinal in Munich in 07 and you know to get into the final and then all of a sudden France and Italy I think just sprinted through us and we didn't make the final and that was very very disappointing and so um, you know because I, I kind of I had this affinity to the four and I wanted to make the four but it just wasn't it wasn't working out the way I had hoped and so then we switched back to the eight um and it, it was a whole different animal that ate than, than the years before. Um, I actually wanted to row seven seat. I thought that it was better when I was in seven and there was a different stroke. Um, but Mike didn't agree. So he put me in stroke seat anyway. <laughs> uh, but it was a really fun boat, like good dudes in there. And we raced pretty hard. I mean, I think, well, the difference between those two races and those two boats is that just the confidence that the 04 boat had in each other and then the 08 boat was good, but we didn't have the same experiences and the same kind of like sort of easy rhythm. And so like off the line, like our, we knew our starts were not very good. And we knew that if we had like if we went completely bonkers off the line, we could have a good start. But we knew we paid a price for that in the second half of the race. 
And so you watch that race and it's like, we're in sixth place. And I think it's because we just didn't have the confidence that we could go all out. Um, but it's like, you know, I think the experiences that I had and, and why and a couple of the guys in there mixed with like, you know, the guys that had been training those last couple of years together, like got us through that middle thousand and back into a, a metal position. Yeah, because it's still actually an awesome race. I mean, mm. uh, the, 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 yeah. the you still got you guys still dish up something. I mean, I would be uh, I would be pretty happy with uh, with that race at the end of the day. And you guys had yeah. one hell of a race against the Brits, eh? Shit, that was super yeah. tight. Oh, God, what is it about the Brits that is just like it's so fun to beat them and almost <laughs> to lose to them? It's like the worst. Yeah, no, I think yeah, we all we all have the same feeling there. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, I know it is funny. Uh, they're, they're, um, yeah, it was a good race. And I was very happy with that race afterwards, actually. Um, you know, because it was like, it could have gone it could have gone severely worse. Like, it could have gone the other way, and we could have imploded kind of how we did in 2000, um, having to go through the reps. And, like, but we, you know, we, I think we took a little bit of that 2000 experience and be like, okay, let's not let the whole regatta fall apart. And we kind of just, you know, we made some changes for the rep. We got through. And then, you know, we had a, you know, a pretty damn good race in the final. And that got us a medal. Yeah. We're so close to a silver, too. So, yeah. So you know, close. I, as soon as we crossed the line, I was like, guys, we should be happy with this. We should be proud about this. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So that, and then that rounds up your, your international rowing career. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I, uh, I was pretty pretty tired by that point, I think, yeah, mentally. I, I can imagine, but shit, you know, coming coming away with, you know, three successful Olymp- uh, Olympic cycles, that's awesome. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I kind of laugh a bit when you talk about, like, the, the starts and the eights. I mean, uh, we all know that, like, obviously from chatting to a lot of guys and watching a lot of, lot of rowing, that, like, the start, the first 500 meters in an eight is a different kind of thing to first 500 meters in a lot of other boats. And you yeah. know, this this year we we decided we went and did like a, a competition in Italy, and then at the end of the regatta for fun we decided to jump into an eight together. Like all the guys that were touring just jumped into eight, and we decided to you know race. And oh my god, did we get wrecked in the first three hundred meters? I did not know what was going on. Yeah, and the, yeah, it's a you gotta be you gotta be switched on. Yes, as you. I don't like because it's like your first like couple, the first like five to ten strokes are like that's pretty normal. That doesn't really change the boat's not moving. You just kind of, you know, you're getting the boat moving and then the strokes are quite short. It was like once you got to full length and like now you're starting to move the boat. Strokes ten to like thirty. Holy crap! The guys, the yes, Romania the put it. They were clear water. I think on us. <laughs> Easy <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> it took us a long time to to claw anything back uh, yeah. in that race. And the, the funny thing was, because we had an Italian cox, I was sitting in the fourth seat, so I was doing the coxing for the race. And I look out, and about three hundred meters in the race, I'm like, oh my god, guys, we are almost lost. <laughs> Uzbekistan is about to beat us. I have to say something to keep us going. I'm like, no, guys, we're in the pack. We're in the pack. And look, we our second uh, half of that race was actually pretty blitz. But I tell you, our first yeah. half, they sh- we got shown up properly. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was a yeah. lot of fun. And there was a lot of gears there because we had a pretty good tour. So there was a lot of gears in that eight. But I mean, it's just great to have like first-hand experience. Like how much power and just, you know, just raw ferocity and 
you know, just get that bloody thing out there at maximum speed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What well, the 99 crew that I raced in, they, they our starts were incredible. Mm. And it was all because of that. It was all just like raw power and like aggression and just like, just being pissed off about something. And then, and I was just along for the ride and bow seat. Yeah. Like I was 549 and I was bow. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, that, that was, yeah. The amount of power it takes for that kind of shit to have starts like that is incredible. Yeah. Because I mean, like, yeah. I mean, you were alluding to it when you were talking about the 2004 race, like when you, when you up in an eight, it's like, because it's such a big boat changing speed it's not it's not immediate like in a skull you can change speed so quickly in an eight it takes a bit more time to really change effective speed so once you up in an eight it's really really hard to get back like half up a boat length whereas in smaller yeah. boats you can turn speed much much faster and you can take away like a length in like a pair a lot easier than you can take away in an eight obviously you know you're talking about much bigger distances but i mean the the perception is different yeah, definitely, absolutely. Because it, it, it is, it's it's already operating at max speed basically the whole time. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, we chatted to uh, Jake Vetzel as well, another another person that we chatted to from uh, the eights, and man, they they also some dark days back in there, and then they, I mean, it's it's very similar to to you guys in two thousand four, I think, like the way you speak about it's a, the confidence of the, it's the an, eight. It's an amazing um, mirror experience i think between those two countries like basically what we went through in 2000 to 2004 they went through almost the exact same thing almost 2004 to 2008 almost exactly the same yeah um yeah wetzel's great so wetzel was on our team in 90 in the the 90s with he rode with us i oh yeah of course i have such good memories yeah i have such good memories of like doing two by six k next to that dude and you know, trying to keep up with them as he's like breaking 19 for both of them or some shit like that. It's like, shit. it's insane. It's insane how hard that guy trains. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> you... He was on another level. I... He was on another level. Yeah. It was very cool. Like, to check yeah. So like, when you I look... show that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, you go. No, I was going to say, I show that 2008 Canadian crew more often to my high school rowers that I coach now than I do any other boat because you watch that boat row and it's just the determination. I was like, guys, yes, yeah. what I was like, the one thing I'm like, what do you see here? They're like, well, they're, they're relentless. I was like, yeah, they, they, they want nothing else than to get ahead and to get ahead by as much as humanly possible. Yeah. yeah. Although and, I still think that like, it would like, I mean, if you're going to pit crews against each other from, uh, from through the times, I think your eight in 2004 racing that eight in 2008, that would be, unreal race to watch and now that we're on it oh we, what, one we would, thing i one thing i'd love to see actually because i've noticed with the eights every olympic cycle there seems to be like one eight that's got this like this mythology and a lot of the story behind it like you guys in 2004 canada canada in, in, in 2008 germany in 2012 and, and the, the british Brits in, in 2016 2000. i would love no the brits in 2000 and brits the back and black boats yeah. in 2000 i would love to hypothetically have like all these eights line up and go. But go I still think head. though it would be the this the, the two thousand and four and two thousand eight. I think you guys. I think you guys would would have a good dice on the track. Yeah, it would be. You know, because you watch that that two thousand eight race, they were like on world record pace and like a headwind basically. Yeah. 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 For the first half of that race, 
Yeah, I would. I still think we would win. But, I also you know, think. It would be fun to at least I race. think you guys have. Uh, I mean, you guys are <laughs> leading by more at the, the at the one k at the one k. So, I still think that uh, I think that you guys would take it because they're just and you guys. I think are rowing. They're rowing. They're relentless, but I think you guys row a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's why. <laughs> only maybe, only because you're on the show now. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or maybe maybe Brian, if you if you committed and, and were pulling at max from stroke one, it made make it quite a huge difference there. Or also or a big if, the, if the rest yeah. of the crew had bought in and you guys you guys had won by clear water, then we could say that you guys are obviously the best crew of all time because you won the you're the only guys yeah. to win open Olympic water. final by open water. I know it's like it, it would have solved the debate. It would have like, <laughs> and I just my teammates let me down. They really did. <laughs> For yeah. sure, jerks. Yeah. So I think we can move on to to our quick fire questions. Um, sure. Yeah. And I mean, unless I I do want to touch a little bit on like the coaching and stuff that you've been doing since then. Sure. Yeah. Um, that was also pretty. I was going back to Seattle to like work in a kitchen, and uh, I got a phone call from Callahan, the UW coach, saying there was a job at a club in Seattle open, and I should come apply. So then I did. And I got that's my first coaching job was was coaching at this club and running their elites. And that's I kind of went from there. I had like a small group of lightweights and I got them to a point where they all got invited or most of them got invited to like the lightweight four camp. And and then I got involved with the lightweights through that through that. And then I that's how I ended up coaching the lightweight four um, in London. Um, and then from there, I I. You know, I think I did well enough at, with that event that you know when when they hired we we're hiring somebody new for the 2016 campaign, um, they just moved me over to the heavyweights and brought in Luke. Okay. Um, so that's basically the path. It it was really good at first. Like I mean, we had the we had success early, and then it all kind of went tits up uh, when they didn't qualify. Yeah, because you guys also were like uh, in the heavyweight side. You were like really quick at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah, mm. like uh, 2013, yeah. 2014. You guys had like really good speed. Mm. Yeah, and it's just like you know, it's it inexperienced young coaches is basically what it was, and and you know that's it's fucking hard to win at that level, and it is. And you're coaching against some of the greats. Was it like a huge shift for you to like go from like being this athlete that like now you have all that experience? You like. You have the knowledge uh, lining up in uh, in Beijing, and now you're like going on to the coaching side, which is like, in some ways, really similar, but in other ways, like, worlds apart. Was it really tricky to make that transition? Yeah, it was hard. Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things was um, separating myself as a coach, and I didn't do a great job of that. You know, I was very close to these athletes still. I had just retired, basically, um, a quad earlier. And like, I still felt like I was an athlete. So there were a lot of times where I was like, I, it, the line between coach and athlete got a little blurry. And I don't think, I think if I had give me another four years there, I think it would be a whole different experience for me. And I would get a much different result uh, throughout the four years. Um, you know, that's why I think we came out pretty hot because there was like a lot of energy, a lot of emotion, like there was a lot of hype and a lot of like good vibes and then when it came time to like actually select and you know put people under pressure and you know make it make those tough decisions 
like it just got a little cloudy and convoluted and it just it didn't we didn't do as good of a job as we could have yeah because i mean i think that's like it's such a difficult part yeah. uh, thing to get right in the first place like uh yeah and then like adding those emotions in i can just imagine and um, then yeah and it's because it's like it's like you said it's like um with that kind of depth it's like super hard to like sort through it all yeah and you got to have good experience to do that i got a rescue bird you got a rescue bird <laughs> that's my little voice here oh, no very, very cute so let's move on to to the quick five questions and um You've obviously to heard them before, so they they're not uh, any different, and you can interpret them any way you any you want. Any way, yeah. And uh, okay. yeah. So the first one is, which you actually quite kind of alluded to to this one before. So I'm sure your your answer might be quite straightforward. But if you could race any boat class at the games, what would it be? Yeah, I think the I think the four. If I could go back, I would love to race the four. Um, but I mean, you know, you say that, but the eight is like, the eight is so fun. I mean, it's just like, that's, that's the event, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, uh, I, th- I think most yeah. people, anyone that hasn't raced the eight yeah. usually chooses the eight. Um, yeah. so, uh, so it's interesting to see someone that's yeah. raced the eight a lot and like, uh, to go back and you're still umming and ahhing if you want to race the, the four, the eight, which is pretty epic. Yeah. Like. My brain says the four would be more fun and more interesting, but my basic gut and hearts are like, no fucking way, the eight. <laughs> yeah. So next question follows on quite nicely. It is, if you could choose any three people from any time and from anywhere in the world to race in a coxless four with, who would your three cr- crewmates be? Oh, Redgrave. Okay. Uh, Hamish. Hamish. Uh, I, I would love to row with Nico. Ranks Nico ranks the Dutch stroke okay. from like '96. All right. Yeah. So uh, and then me and then me of course. Yeah, obviously uh, you you you're in there. You you're in there for the ride there. <laughs> yeah. Are you sitting in the stroke yeah. seat or the bow seat? Well, I would just sit in bow with Alan, man. Just watch. And then why are you putting Hamish in over Murray? Yeah. Oh, he's just you know he's just he's a little bit weirder looking. <laughs> <laughs> A great answer. <laughs> That's a yeah. good answer. Yeah, it's up. So who who are you putting in the stroke seat then? Hamish or uh, Nico? Nico. Nico. Yeah, I need to update my rowing knowledge. Yeah. Actually, I don't know who Nico we'll go, is. We'll go watch some, uh, some of his racing. racing. You say 96? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going back to have a look there. Yeah. Um, then... You're gonna, yo, you've got a lot of uh, area to cover here. What's your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't have to be one of your races. It can be uh, any rowing race. Ooh, that's a tough one. I watch a lot of them. Um, I, I watched the 99 race a lot that I was in, the eights race in 99. But I also watch... Um, I watched the pair from Sydney. Yes, that's an amazing that's a race. Big one. Yeah, um, I, I the '99 race I think is one of the most fun ones to watch because we get like past and then we end up winning in the end. Um, yeah, which doesn't know, happen. It doesn't happen that often in the eights, especially. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so it just that's it has a special one, and that's it has a special place for us. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And then the next question, this, this one brings out usually quite great answers, is that uh, if you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change and, yeah, why? Ooh, a 
okay, I know exactly what I would do. <laughs> I would I would break up the week, the regatta week at the World Championships or even at the Olympics. And I would do it like two World Cups back to back. And I would do the first half would be 2Ks, um, like normal, like a normal regatta. And then I would have all those same athletes the second half of the week do night racing 500-meter sprints. Yes, that yes, is um, fantastic. Yeah, and like just to make it exciting. So then you get two things. You get you know shorter distances that people can actually watch and engage with and kind of see the whole thing. You do it at night so it's like can be televised. And then you um, you get multiple medalists in our sport. Yeah. At one at one at one Olympics. So then, how does that work? Then, like, do you qualify in the two K race for the games? Yes. Because then, yeah. Like... So I would say, yeah, that's a good question. I, th- I think you'd qualify the two K, and, and that would satisfy all the traditionalists, right? The people yes. that don't want to change. Because mm. also, like, like, I it, think if you that... if you switch to five hundred too extreme, then like you you actually get a different athlete, like a different yeah, kind of athlete different is athletes. is going to be good at a five hundred meter sprint to to a two K. So it's like you still keep that element. Yeah. And it's not to say that the people racing 2Ks are not going to be good at 500. Yeah. You're still going to get like epic racing out of it. Yeah. So Yeah, you're going to get fantastic racing. Yeah. Flip, well, yeah. good answer. I see you thought about this, which yeah, is... This uh, is uh, oh, yeah. I've, been, yeah. I've you, been thinking about this one for years. It <laughs> usually takes think, us a while. Like, I, do like, think, yeah, I do think rowing needs to change a little bit. We need to adapt. Like You can't just like stick to our guns and like be like, no, it's 2Ks or nothing. Like yeah. that's just the way it goes. That's your, the tradition. I think we'll just get left. I yeah. think we gotta like adapt a little bit. Yeah, we yeah, need no, like sure. we need we need something some innovation definitely. I think especially from like a, a like you said a spectator point of view, like sponsorship, interest in the sport, like all these avenues, need, we need to start exploring a little bit more aggressively and get them to open up a bit more. Yeah, and I like it. will be I like your die otherwise. I like the answer the most because, like, you know, I'm a bit of a traditionist. I love the, like, the gladiator event, the 2K. Mm. But I do think mm-hmm. we need that change. So, like, and like, to you, then you bring in, like, uh, the best of both, which I think is, is actually really, Great really subs. epic. And because the 500s, you could do a bunch of them. And you could, you know, it's not like it's super taxing. And so there's a lot of different things you could do with that. You know, you could row mixed dates, row men and women together. You yeah. could row, you know, what, you could do all different kinds of things have people from different countries row together it could be very interesting yeah, yeah. you could really you could open that up like uh, like crazy yeah then the big question that every rower wants to know and especially someone that's <laughs> rowed in the eight and uh, rowed in the, with the big guns is what is your 2k PB uh, 549.5. Okay. So, so did you do that in because uh, you you said you did that in, in the early early days yeah, I did that in 2000. Okay. And then, and then you, the, the best, the closest I got after that was 550 flat. Okay, so yeah. you were pretty close then afterwards. Yeah. Okay. I'm always, but I also, I'm just lazy and I didn't really want to yeah, go any harder than I that. I thought that maybe you're just like, oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I've exactly. done it, I don't need to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm always interested, Brian. In a fine balance, there's uh, they do quite a bit of crash bees and there's quite a lot of footage on you. And it seems like yeah. you cranked quite a big ergo time there because obviously Mike's quite tough with you. What did you get then? That was the PR. That was my PR. Okay. okay. Yeah. So that's why he was so yeah. stoked. Yeah. That's quite a, that's fucking monster. Yeah. And that was the first time I had broke 550. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then like, 
Yeah, and then like obviously you got other big guns all all through the eight as well. But that's uh, that's really epic. That's big. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, and then last question here is: if you could choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, what would it be and why? Oh, I've always gotten that's a good one. I've always gotten like, what if I could choose any professional sport? What would it be? And that would be definitely baseball. Um, But okay, Olympic sports. I. I mean, it's, it's just something, it, and it's like I could be good at if I could be good at anything. No, no, like if, I could if you were like if you could like re uh, reinvent yourself into another into a different uh, a different athlete. Sport. Yeah. Oh, a uh, hundred hundred meter dash. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I would I would fucking love to be able to run that fast. Yeah. And that is like that is the ultimate event as well. Like oh, everyone watches yeah. that one. Yeah. And like I mean, would, I, I remember reading. Bolt's book and he talks about like in the beginning he's like everyone is run everyone at one point has raced 100 meters against someone else and they probably got beaten yeah. and they quit and they went to do some other sport and the people that won they carry on and like you basically have raced against if you win 100 meter you've raced against everyone in the world yeah yeah that's so true I mean it's like and it's like such like an elemental like backyard race with your buddies it's like okay from here to that tree man we're gonna race yeah and it's just like so it's so pure i just love it how how was your is your running did you guys do any running as uh in in your training uh no not really uh not really what i was training I, i played soccer growing up and um i i was a fairly fast distance runner when i was in high school and just out of high school so i could run the two mile in under 10 minutes yeah um, so that was pretty quick, but I was also, as soon as I started rowing and gaining weight, I, uh, I got real slow. Yeah. Well, it changes it up a bit. There's a direct correlation yeah. between how heavy you are and how you are running. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, imagine now I'm like 230 plus and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm just like a dog slow. I'm like a pig. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Oh, how how tall are you, Brian? Because I mean, on your world rowing profile, you're apparently the tallest person on the planet. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, you're like no, 287 or, or 89 yeah. centimeters. Uh, oh, I'm six uh, six three, six feet three inches. Okay, cool. All right, that's like uh, we'll, I don't, we'll, I don't know what that is in centimeters. My height. I'm six foot three. So what's that in centimeters? Oh, one nine one, not one nine two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. So not two hundred and eighty something. We'll leave it. We'll we'll (laughs) we'll leave it there. We'll 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 leave it there. Tallest man. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking great. Um, Cool. I think that's a wrap for us. Yeah. Um, Oh, great. A huge thanks from us. I mean, that was freaking awesome. Uh, There's so many good races. Got something good out of there. Yeah. No, definitely. Got lots of. Got lots of cool stuff. There's so many good races to talk about, and, and yeah. And also, it's just so epic to to talk to rowers because rowing people just love talking about our sport. Yeah, so. just how the story oh, is so know. awesome. Oh yeah, no, it's like finally we got somebody to talk to instead of like the people that don't really want to listen to what we're saying. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers, I appreciate it. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Sweet guys, that's another awesome episode. We finished. We just finished up with Brian. I'm sure you guys loved that. It was an awesome conversation. We learned a lot, just not not just about winning Olympic gold medals, but what it really takes to, you know, 
uh, achieved success through ups and downs throughout the sports. And overall, Brian was an awesome guy to chat to. And yeah, Lawrence, what do you think? Yeah, I think there was there was a lot of wisdom in that uh, episode. And I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it again. I think because uh, there was there's so much in there, and I mean it was quite a long episode. So there's just and like there's just really there's little bites in there that are absolutely golden golden little nuggets of just fucking wisdom so i need to go back and listen to that whole thing again uh at some point because there's 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 stuff in there that we you need to just cling on to and make sure that that's uh that can help you with your rowing for sure but yeah i really loved that thing so that was awesome yeah tops and of course guys we always need your help with us uh, getting the show going and, and spreading the word so please share the show post it onto social media give us a like give us a rating any way you can and of course we love hearing from you guys even if it's good even if it's bad we can take it we can take the hits but um that's about it um yeah so tell your friends about it i think uh, if you guys once a week can tell someone new about the show get one more listener for us each that will make a huge difference to to our success and and to our ability to keep the show going and and keep bringing uh, new content to you guys so that's uh, that's a pretty easy thing to ask so go out there tell one person about the row show and otherwise carry on living your lives see you guys next time sweet guys have a good weekend this is jake out and lawrence out ciao <laughs> so I was like, whoa, bro, you just fucking rolled. Shit, dude, that was so cool, dude. That was, oh, man, that was good. He was a fucking cool actor, chat. Yeah.